Hi, I'm Tom Melville, and welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode, we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. A few hours west of Newcastle is the Bylong Valley, home to some of the best soil in the whole country. 20 years ago, it was a close-knit community with a long, proud agricultural history. Every Friday night, locals would come together at the sports ground, taking time to catch up in what was Bylong's equivalent of the community watering hole. But Bylong these days is not much more than a ghost town. Abandoned houses, overgrown fields. Most farmers have sold up to the South Korean mining giant Kepco, which is keen to dig for coal in the area. The school is closed, so is the general store. And last drinks at the sports ground were five years ago. Despite the damage done to this small community, there's a good chance that the mine won't even go ahead. For the third time in as many years, the mine has been knocked back by the authorities. Kepco is launching a fresh appeal. Reporter Ethan Hamilton takes us to buy along. I was a back wall on it, and there was benches along the front, and that was like and the, and the square at the front. There was like a bar where the you know see the concrete got the front. It jumped out towards the wheelie bin, and that was all enclosed. And there was benches along there, and that's where we used to go over. We used to buy grog here Friday afternoon and. That's Graham Tanner, tagged to his mates. He's been in the valley for about 20 years. He's remembering a time before Kepco bought up most of his neighbours' properties, a time when there was still a community in the valley. As I say, Friday nights, everybody used to go to the sports ground and, and um, that was their social. You know, that was like the pub on Friday night. In those days, Bylong would host the region's most prestigious sporting event, the annual charity mouse races. Oh, yeah, I think the... I think they took 120,000 the last mouse race. The biggest, the biggest number of people here was about 3,000 one day. A mouse race is exactly what it sounds like, but they're a thing of the past. It's a grey day when we roll through town. Clouds fat with rain cast bleak shadows across the land. Looking around, it's hard to imagine thousands of people in the streets. You could count on one hand the number of families that still live in the valley. But, you know, there used to be um, Friday nights, we used to be 40 or 50 people down at the sports ground after with our Friday night, you know. We used to have um, everybody there, but now there's just, um, there's nobody here, you know. I hardly see anybody, you know. But now the, the shop's shut, it's been shut for about two months or more. Tag's talking about the Bylong General Store. It sits directly across the road from the sports ground along with the public school, Catholic church, and around 13,000 hectares of prime agricultural land, the general store is now the property of Kepco, a South Korean energy company. All the land owned by Kepco has been fenced off, with industrial warning signs replacing quaint country mailboxes, numeric codes where there were once names of historic farms. It's a forlorn place these days, a far cry from the Times Tag remembers. It's 90 k's in the mud, you're 50 k's in the rice and to, to go and do some shopping or, or whatever now. But see, you used to do that before too, but if you want a bit of the bread and milk was at the shop, everything was there, but um, your social life is finished, you know. But I, not that, um, you know, you, you just um, it destroyed the valley. Between 2010 and 2017, Kepco purchased almost half the land in the Bylong Valley. Locals tell me that in some instances, the energy company paid five times what the properties were worth. 
Dismayed at watching their community being hollowed out, a few concerned residents formed the Bylong Valley Protection Alliance. Uh, we did have a meeting down there where it was agreed that no one would sell to them. And with a matter of, within a matter of weeks, they had taken the money and run. So it's the old mighty dollar rules, isn't it? Everybody's got a price. Well, I'm Peter Grieve from uh, Tulubi Angerstud. Our family have been in the valley on Dad's side since 1937 on the current property at Tulubi. And my mother's family came in here in 1910. So I just about qualify as a local. Aside from a few years away at college, Peter has been here his whole life. His connection to the place makes it hard for him to watch as Bylong fades. The country they have now is well overrun with rubbish and weeds and a lot of, de- lot of decline in the standard of the houses on the place. They're not being maintained. They mow the lawns, but that's not maintaining a house. And so on. I mean, there's rabbits under a very historic house on Torrey Lodge. Been there now for at least two years to my knowledge. The coal mine Kepco plans to build will be a combination of open-cut and underground operations. It's intended to run for 25 years, extracting around 6.5 million tonnes of coal annually. It's a greenfield proposal, meaning there hasn't been a mine on this land before. Yes, we are absolutely looking at this issue. We are supporting communities who have successfully fought off greenfields, coal mines in their backyards. Um, and two of those locations, of course, are uh, in the Southern Highlands near Berrima and uh, in the Bylong Valley. That's Nick Clyde. He's the New South Wales Community Coordinator at the Lock the Gate Alliance. Nick has been fighting alongside Bylong locals since 2015. He believes that since the property purchases started in 2010, it hasn't all been bad news for the valley. There's only 3% of the entire state that is mapped as as having B-cell soil. That's the most productive soil that we have. And a big chunk of that soil happens to be in Bylong. So that happened. So Bylong was mapped with super high quality soil. The National Trust listed the Bylong Valley on their heritage register. So Bylong became a heritage listed valley. And finally, what also emerged as an issue was because of the Bylong Valley's proximity to the Greater Blue Mountains World Heritage Area, some concerns were raised that developing a coal mine in the valley might impact upon the world heritage values of the Blue Mountains estate. So UNESCO became involved and, and requested that the federal government investigate the potential impact, not just of Bylong, but of other proposed coal mines around the World Heritage Area. Alongside all that was an ongoing court battle between Kepco and the farmers in Bylong. Rana Koroglu is a managing lawyer at the Environmental Defenders Office in New South Wales, a not-for-profit which took up the case on behalf of the Bylong farmers. She says that to begin with, the Independent Planning Commission was particularly concerned with the mine's impact on Tarwan Park an environmentally and historically significant property in the valley. They were concerned about the impacts on the agricultural land use as well as groundwater and had expressed concerns about greenhouse gas emissions as well. So from that initial review by the Planning Assessment Commission, KEPCO went back and prepared a revised mine plan where they 
changed some of the project design. They changed it to being a mixed open cut and underground mine and they attempted to minimise the impacts on some of the features such as Tarwin Park. We'll have more on Tarwin Park later in the episode. In September 2019, the Independent Planning Commission refused KEPCO's proposal, largely on environmental grounds. And they cited uh, deep concerns about the impacts on, on climate change, on agricultural land use, uh, specifically concerns on groundwater. Uh, in fact, they said they thought the groundwater impacts were unacceptable. KEPCO was far from done. And in August 2020, the company took the decision to the New South Wales Land and Environment Court, where they were defeated, and again decided to appeal. KEPCO appealed it to the New South Wales Court of Appeal. KEPCO made similar arguments that the decision was made unlawfully. They said that Independent Planning Commission didn't properly consider whether there should have been additional conditions imposed to minimise greenhouse gas emissions and minimise impacts. And we were very pleasingly successful in defeating those arguments. That appeal was defeated in September 2021, a unanimous verdict in favour of a group of local farmers. KEFCO told us that it believes the New South Wales Court of Appeal made errors in this decision and has filed a special leave application to the High Court seeking proper legal interpretation. Rana says the original decision is part of a trend in the state where authorities are much more sensitive to environmental concerns. Bylong is the most recent one, but before that there was Rocky Hill over in Gloucester. We have consent authorities who are considering the impacts on the environment, which is broadly defined, and that includes greenhouse gas emissions and the impacts on our climate on account of these greenhouse gas emissions. According to Rana, the importance of environmental considerations in these decisions can't be understated. The purpose of an environmental impact statement is to assess the environmental impacts of a project. And if we have, you know, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change delivering the most dire warnings that they have to date, which effectively say we cannot continue to construct more coal mines, the impacts of that are too great. Throughout the process, environmental impacts were front of mind for Bylong residents. I think the critical one there is, which we have a huge impact here, would be the, the water table and the aquifers. This is really unique, Valley. I've, I've been up there at the top of the valley where it starts after 60 mil of rain in 20 minutes once, and the water was flowing under a massive culvert in the road, like four metres across and a metre high. This body of water was coming in under the road, into the, right into the top of the valley. And I sort of slowed down and got out of my car and, and followed it. And within 500 metres, all that water had disappeared. It was just going into the ground. Along with Tag and Peter Grieve, Phil Kennedy is one of the few remaining farmers in the Bylong Valley. Most irrigation in Bylong comes from wells, which tap into a series of underground rivers and aquifers. This unique water table exists due to large sandstone shelves a few metres below the ground. The concern for Bylong farmers like Phil and the Independent Planning Commission is the impact a mine would have on this vital water source. I don't think anybody could honestly draw a model and guarantee that 
they, they knew what was going to happen. When you, when you dig a pit that's a couple of thousand acres in size in surface area at the top and 60 to 80 metres deep, anybody can tell you that what's going to happen, I, I think it'd be a fool to predict what they could and couldn't, would and would not happen. The two main water channels in the valley, the Growy and Bylong rivers, are both largely underground aquifers. Complex water systems like this are delicate, and once disturbed, difficult to repair. You're messing with stuff that's been taken millions of years to evolve, and, and because somebody might do a four-year degree at a university and say, oh no, that won't affect it. Another significant asset for the valley is soil quality. It's some of the finest anywhere in the country. I rate some of this patch of this country here as good as, as what you see on the slopes of Mount Canobolis, you know, and they all rave about that. They've got orchards up there, they've got apples and pears and all to- types of things on the slopes of Mount Canobolis. But the advantage of this country here is, is, is as good, um, basalt soil, but you've got the added advantage of, of irrigation here and you know, your opportunities are quite limitless here. You, you could turn this into a, a vegetable, fruit and vegetable bowl for, for the central coast of Newcastle there. It's two and a half hours away. And the amount of production that could be come out of here, you know, they might, you might turn to orchards. What, somebody might want to grow flowers out here. Who knows? Phil moved here three years ago from central west New South Wales. A year or so later, he became president of the Bylong Valley Protection Alliance. He says that as soon as he made the move to the valley, the difference in soil quality was obvious. I, mean, I remember in 2018, we, we got a couple of storms, little storm showers in October, and I had to stop feeding sheep straight away. It's just the, the country just responds so quickly. I don't know whether it's, it's a, the temperature or I, I think it's the, the, the soft basalt country. It just, it's very responsive country. Phil's view for his property, and for the valley more broadly, has a lot to do with a new regenerative form of farming. They've got some soils that have been regeneratively farmed now for 25 years, which can take eight inches of rain in one hour, absorbed without running any of the first inch in 20 seconds, and you lose no, none of your water. It's all absorbed by the soil. You know? and, and if you can lift your soil by 0.25 a year in organic matter and carbon over 10 years, you, you'll have great soil. So... That's the process that we want to do, you know. Regenerative agriculture is tied up in Bylong's history through Peter Andrews, or PA. In 1973, he bought the 1,200-hectare property of Tarwan Park, re-establishing it initially as a racehorse stud. Over the decades, PA developed a system of land management that would later become known as natural sequence farming. Natural sequence farming is an understanding of of the Australian landscape and how it functioned prior to any human interference. So it's looking at how water and fertility moved over and through the landscape prior to any of our interference and how you can get that function working again in the landscape whilst at the same time creating productivity. That's Stuart Andrews. He's PA's son. He, along with his wife, two boys and Peter himself run Tarwan Park training courses, teaching the practice to anyone who wants to listen. So given that this continent's so dry, we need to capture as much rainfall as possible when it falls, where it falls, not waiting for it to run into a dam somewhere and then pump it back out. It's ludicrous. This landscape didn't function like that prior. It was always about storing it where it fell. 
While natural sequence farming was initially met with hesitancy from the ag community, it's been deemed by the CSIRO to be effective on Taiwan Park, with the potential for broader widespread implementation. Whenever you've got a property that's been used as a trial, obviously there's a, there's a lot of information that can be gained from that property and used to educate people into the future. So, you know, the significance of the property is the fact that it is a, a model of how this can be replicated all around not only Australia but all around the world. This is a sentiment backed by Nick Clyde. Tarwin Park, when it was nominated for the New South Wales Heritage Register, one of the criteria for nomination, they found that there is still some scientific value remaining in that landscape to be studied that would be useful to feed into the global understanding of how natural sequence farming can help the planet produce food and fibre sustainably and solve the climate crisis. So just another reason why it just doesn't make any sense to develop a new coal mine in the valley. The United Nations has named 2021 to 2030 the Decade of Ecosystem Restoration. And as part of that UN initiative, in the end they decided, after scouring the planet for models of sustainable agriculture, they decided that a form of natural sequence farming that was pioneered by the Andrews family in the Bylong Valley is one of five globally sustainable models for agriculture and has a lot to offer the planet. Stuart spent 40-odd years on Tarwin Park and was born and raised alongside natural sequence farming. They, you, know, you hear people say, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't love a property. It's just a piece of land. But unfortunately, I don't feel that way. I feel that, yeah, we, we, it has a, holds a special place in all of our family members' hearts, I suppose. After a few years of resistance to the purchase offers by Kepco, Stuart and the family saw the direction Bialong was headed. What I could see from other places that have been in similar circumstances to us, the effect on your mental state going forward when you are only one, say, or maybe two people left in the area, the way it affects you mentally is crippling and I didn't want to put myself and I definitely didn't want to put my family through that. It was very, very much the unknown. We didn't know what was going to happen going forward. So we had to make a decision one way or the other what we were going to do. And as a family, we, we made the hard decision to sell. Stuart and his family knew the significance of the land and its value as a trial site for natural sequence farming. So they made an agreement with Kepco. That would allow the Andrews family to keep working the land over the next decade. And so they agreed to that, signed the contracts, everything was good, all done. And then when we reached the end of the two-year period, they said, you're out. Sorry, no lease. So we got to stay for our two-year period and then we were kicked out. We could have fought it, but the advice I was given from our solicitor was that they've got more money than us and we'll lose. So once again, they stomped their foot down and kicked us out, which I think was a pretty crappy thing to do. But anyway, that's what happens, I suppose. If you were given the opportunity, given everything that's happened now with the mine being knocked back so many times, would you consider buying Tarwin Park back? Yeah, I don't know. I've been asked that question before. Had you have asked me that question five years ago, I would have said most definitely. My answer today 
is that I, I believe it really should be a public or held in a trust of some sort so it could be set up as a learning institute so that, you know, potentially we could run courses there and we could teach people how how Tarwan Park functions and how, how they can set their own place up. Even though he doesn't live on Tarwan Park anymore, Stuart has a connection to the place and to the valley itself. He sees the social value in Bylong and says defending this value shouldn't be left to community members. The state government just dumps it all on to the mine and to the farmer and says, you just sort it out. That is weak. You can't go and issue a mining expiration licence over an area and then just leave the people on there to have to sort it out by themselves because that's not fair. I mean, they came into Bylong and they got, you know, probably got a little bit more than they bargained for. They got a bit of fight back. What I would like to see is that the way that whole system works is changed or doesn't work. It's completely dysfunctional. Having to have farmers fight for the survival of our land is absolute rubbish. The community should be standing up saying, no, we need that land for food production. We do not need to be putting mines there at all. That's what needs to happen going forward. It's amazing what you can do with fertiliser and what have you. (laughs) There's plenty of signs around saying private property trespassers will be prosecuted. I visited Tarwin Park when I was in Bylong. I could see the Grand Homestead in the distance. Two coal trains crossed each other at a passing loop behind the farm, then trundled on. In 1920, finished just prior to the Depression, and a grand homestead. The ornate signage had been removed from the entrance, replaced by a warning to trespassers. It's certainly not the public education facility Stuart dreams of. Yes, there used to be Tarwin Park on there. This is how highly they regard the country. With such arrogance and ignorance, it's stupefying. We need to rethink how we approach, you know, nature itself, how we approach uh, carbon stores and how we combine our, our older activities to be more sustainable and to create greater benefits. That's Martin Wilder. He's the founder of Pollination, a specialist climate change advisory and investment firm. Pollination was established to provide investment opportunities in different aspects of the renewable energy space. So I think one of the things is that pollination just has, a, a, I would say, an acute understanding of what the dynamics are around decarbonisation and, and the need for that to occur. At a global level, the firm's been working on an initiative that Bloomberg's been driving, which is to transition out of coal. And I think that in Australia is a jurisdiction where the transition out of coal has really accelerated in the last few years, partly driven by the fact that a general acceptance that new coal is no longer economic, that it can't really compete with other forms of cheaper energy like solar, wind, etc. Martin is a recognised global leader in climate law and investment. He understands the significance of the Bylong Valley. This land in the Bylong Valley is still highly valuable. It, there's a significant opportunity to do other things with that land now that the coal mine's not permissible. So how do we take that what is in effect a stranded asset, which Kepco holds, and turn it into something that's far more productive, economic, and I guess, for want of a better term, climate-friendly. There's a number of people in the neighbouring towns of Ralston and Candos who support the economic and jobs potential of a new coal mine. People need jobs, and regions need income. 
But what Martin and Pollination are proposing means exploring the economic potential of the landscape, as well as the environmental. The Bailong Valley is an interesting case study in that it is very good agricultural land. It creates a significant amount of opportunity for agricultural practices. It was also very early on, you know, a huge amount of work was done on regenerative agriculture and water in the Bailong Valley. And, you know, you need to pay testament to that. And it provides an opportunity to continue that work to build regenerative agriculture across the valley. There's also opportunities for for renewable energy. And also a lot of that area is bordering on, on very unique biodiverse forests. And if you can combine the ability to protect the biodiversity, to undertake farming in a more regenerative fashion, to look at ways to produce renewable energy, and then you make that, in effect, a food bowl for the broader region, it's a very attractive proposition. Finish them off. Lucky Mariner today, off. Tim Tim turns in there. You would have got good coffee, but... Because I went shopping. Back in Bailong, there's a lot of spirit left in this reduced community, but also a pervasive sense of fatigue. Years of fighting and insecurity have left residents tired and confused. I don't know that they're ever going to get their money back. You know, are they chasing their losses or is it about pride? You know, is this about a foreign company, which is actually majority shareholder, a foreign government? Is it about them just going, you know, we've got to, we've got to I don't know, save face here or something like that? That's Merrin Orland. She's a GP, Vice President of the Bailong Valley Protection Alliance and partner of Phil Kennedy. In Korea, already they're saying they want green energy, they don't want coal, they don't want coal-fired power stations, they're not going to have any more coal mining, they're not going to fund coal mining. So we could help them turn this valley into a real project, a, a real show, that they could show the rest of the world what they can do. As Marin mentioned, KEPCO is a majority owned by the South Korean government a government which is committed to ceasing foreign investment in new fossil fuel projects. We reached out to the South Korean government to see what their views are on the Bialong appeals. They responded saying it was inappropriate for them to comment. In all those bits and pieces are gone from here too. I don't know where they took them to. The things that you used to bounce around on and all that sort of stuff. And then over there, the kids had veggie gardens and things where they learnt to be little gardeners and whatever. Peter Greve showed us around Upper Bailong, the land owned by Kepco, the buildings that stand idle, the school, the Catholic church. That goes back to 1926, I think, that church. It's deconsecrated and it's just a building. The shape of a church now. The only reason we can still drive along this road flanked on both sides by Kepco's land is because Peter hasn't given up his block down the far end. Go into any of those houses now, there's no water system, no telephone, no power. And no people. No people. And that's the worst thing about it. I mean, this, this should be a vibrant community with a, you know, a lot of people in it, and it's not, not now. The place is a ghost town. Tag Tanner again. Oh, yeah, well, this will be gone, man, you know. But they destroy it forever. Once you know, you, got, you just can't go and rip the guts out of a valley and then put it back together. It's not a jigsaw puzzle; it don't fit. But the future of Bialong is far from a sure thing, 
and Mera knows that there's an opportunity here to renew the community along with the landscape. The community's been decimated and the only way you're going to get that back is to let these farms go back to mum and dad farmers so they bring kids down here, they bring, you know, visitors. Because at the moment I think there's about five landholders live here and, and they're managers and workers. But most of the land owned by Kepco is, is empty. They they just appear to only run cattle on the main road and if you actually go up into Upper Bailong, there's not a lot going on up there. The community is tired, demoralised, and despite a string of losses, Kepco continues to fight. Merrin wants a way for the valley to move forward. I'm actually going to ring him up and say, what are we going to do, guys? I know you've got your vested interest here, but we need a shop. That's the really big thing. And as community members, we're all sort of talking about what can we do? You know, how can we get it set up again? Because you just, you know, we need the fuel. We need, now they're talking about mail not being able to come down here because there's nowhere for them to leave it for people to pick up. Merrin says that she's ready and willing to work with Kepco to find a way out of this stalemate. I mean, we have tried in the past to have a, a meeting with Kepco, but what would I say now? I'd say, well, how can, I, how can I help you get out of your deal? How can I help you be proud and leave this place and do something good with it, you know? So I'd be offering my assistance. I don't know what that would be, but I think if we as a community could help them escape here and keep their, you know, their pride about it that they didn't lose, then... That's what I'd want to do. That's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen and I'll be back in a couple of weeks. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. And if you'd like to share your story, email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash voice of real Australia. You can follow me on Twitter at Tom Melville 124 Voice of Real Australia is recorded in the studios of the Newcastle Herald. It's produced by Lara Corrigan and me, your host, Tom Melville. Special thanks this week go to our intern, Ethan Hamilton, who has just had his last day with us. You've been great to have around over the last few months, and we really appreciate all of your hard work. Our editors are Gail Tomlinson and Chad Watson. This is an ACM podcast. <laughs>